What is love? Love is a many splendored thing. All you need is love. You'll be the prince and I'll be the princess. It's a love story. Baby, just say yes. Oh, I can't help falling in love with you. Uh, I'm sorry. I know, you love a pastor that sings to you. Uh, <laughs> there are as many love songs as there are songwriters. Uh, it's estimated that there are over a hundred million love songs ever produced. And so you think after so many times of us writing about it, singing about it, we would actually be able to know what we're talking about, right? And so what would you say love is? If you were to define love, what would you say it is? Could you, could you define it? Does it sometimes feel like if you define it, if you write it down, it loses its meaning, it, it, it becomes uh, less valuable, and so it's almost like you know it if you know it, if you know, you know, type thing. Well, where we're at here in the, the Gospel of John, if you've been with us for a little while now, we are in uh, what is called the love chapters. That's right, the love chapters. And so two weeks ago when Malcolm preached, I uh, talked about the, the new commandment, I give you to love one another as I have loved you. Uh, today, you're going to hear about the word love eight times in this small little passage. That's a lot for one little area. And then next week, the, the theme of love is going to be pounded even harder. And so we're in the middle of the love chapters. Isn't that delightful? And so in our passage today, uh, Jesus begins and says in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commands. And so what he's talking about today, what we're going to be talking about today are these three things, love, obedience, and the paraclete. That's right, love, obedience, and the paraclete. You might be uncertain about that last one, but it'll make sense when the time comes. And so, love. Um, it, it, is love conditional? I don't know, what would you say? Is love conditional? Does it, does it depend on uh, how someone reacts to you and... Let me, let me say it this way. If I were to say, honey, if you love me, you'll make the bed. How does that make you feel? Some of you all are already like, I don't like this guy, <laughs> right? If you love me, you'll make the bed. That doesn't feel like a healthy way to, to respond to someone in that way. Or let's say um, my spouse says, honey, if you love me, you'll rub my feet. And you just get the feeling this is, this is not a healthy relationship where every single time love is on the line, that if you love me, you'll do something for me. And so it feels manipulative. It feels toxic. Uh, and so no, love is not conditional. But at the same time, I know it's scary to say this, if I said, honey, I love you, and the way that I'm going to show my love to you is by working 80-hour work weeks. You would think, hmm, okay, What's, how does she feel loved? And she says, actually, the way I feel loved is by you spending quality time with me. And so you realize those two are going to butt heads at, at that point. And so I would say the greatest barometer of your love is the person you are trying to love. Like, if you said, 
I love you, would, would they say, I think you love me? <laughs> like, if they don't feel loved, do they, are they really being loved? And so, if someone says, you know, the way I feel loved is by you doing these acts of service, the way you care for me, and your response is, well, I don't really like doing those things. <laughs> I mean, it would be hard to say that love is in your future if that was the way you guys interacted. And so, these if-then statements... Uh, aren't putting love on the line, it's just stating facts, right? It's just facts. Like, so if, if you love bulldogs, you will not take them out for walks in this 100-degree weather because they cannot breathe. That's why like, their, their nose and their mouth aren't, aren't connected well. <laughs> and so they're just like, <laughs> they can't breathe. So if you love them, you don't take them out into this heat. It's not an if-then in that sense, like conditional. It's just it's a fact of the relationship. Similarly, if you want to love me, Slim, then you will not joke about roosters. They are frightening birds, and we should all be very careful around them. Okay. Likewise, Jesus says in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commands. A few verses later, he says in verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Still a couple verses later, he says in verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And so Jesus is just stating the facts of the relationship. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Anyone who loves Jesus will obey his teaching. And so typically Christians align themselves into two camps. And so you have camp one over here. This is team love. Hey, team love. Uh, and this is team obedience over here. Hey, team obedience. Uh, and team love thinks that you guys are just heartless. Team obedience thinks you guys are just weird. And so one side says, it's okay. God loves you. You don't have to obey. The other side says, if you want God to love you, you have to obey. And neither are true. Neither are true. Like, we need to see that both love and obedience are needed. There's this great quote by a guy named uh, Leslie Newbigin, who's a missiologist and, and did many, many years of mission work in India. And he said it this way, Obedience is the test of love. Love is the content of obedience. Let me say that again. Obedience is the test of love. Love is the content of obedience. And so the acid test of your love to Christ is obedience. If you tell a child, my most valuable possession is this signed baseball by Babe Ruth. It's got a signature on it. And so please don't touch it. I'll put it in a glass case. And so if you love me, you will not touch this ball. And let's say this child gets a band of, of, of kids together and wants to play a baseball game, let's say in a, a sandlot, per se, and takes that baseball and brings it out there, and one player on the team who goes on to become a future Hall of Famer in Major League Baseball hits a home run, hits that ball over the fence into the neighbor's yard, and that neighbor has a monstrous dog that just chews it up and tears it up. You would feel as if this relationship had a breakdown, right? If you love me, you won't touch this. And then the boy grabs it, right? 
Obedience is the acid test of our love. Do we actually love God? Like, how quick are we to excuse sin? Oh, it's, it's not a big deal. He'll forgive me. Like, do I actually love God? Then we will do what he says. And what is it that Jesus says to do? Let's talk about our second point, obedience. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Some beautiful passages here in this, in this, this little section. And so the first thing Jesus tells us to do is to do the works. And so we're going to do the works of God, but not even just any works. Like, we're going to be doing even greater works than Jesus. And so some of you guys are saying, like, I don't know. Like, turning water into wine seems pretty hard. And, you know, I'm not used to casting out demons and, and raising the dead. And I'm like... That's like a normal Tuesday for me, but I don't know about y'all. <laughs> like, that's not what Jesus is saying, not at all. Um, no, what he's saying is that when you will do greater works than Jesus, because we're not going to do greater works than Jesus in, in, in that sense. We're not going to be raising the dead. We're not going to be having our death on a cross pay for the sins of the whole world. No, we're, we're going to have a greater impact is what Jesus is talking about. Because on the day of Pentecost... Alone, more believers were added to Jesus' little band of followers than in his entire earthly ministry. And so on Pentecost, Pentecost, there was a literal fulfillment of this prophecy that you'll do even greater works than needs. And so that just leads us to the direct importance of prayer. Whatever the disciples ask in his name leads to this, and Christ will do it. And this is not a formula that you're like, okay, if I say in Jesus' name, then I will get whatever I want. I will get that mansion. I will get that Maserati. That's not what it's talking about here. It's saying in Jesus' name. It's saying in incongruence with the name that you're praying in. In Jesus' name is, is, is Yeshua. It is Messiah. It is Savior. And so what all this means is that we're not contrasting Jesus' works from the disciples' works. We're contrasting what Jesus' works here on earth were versus what Jesus' works are going through the disciples. That you will do even greater works because of Jesus, because you're united, united to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And so what we're seeing here is that it's not... It's all up to Jesus. It's None of it is up to you. And so that your brother's salvation is not in your hands... Your mom's salvation, your child's salvation is not in your hands. It is in, it is in God's hands, and yet we are told to obey. We are told to obey, to obey, to do those works, to, to show a more brighter, more vibrant, more beautiful Savior, yes, but not just to tell people about Jesus, not just to, to, to spread the gospel. It's even greater than that. He says to obey. And obey what? Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Which commands? All of them? All of the commands? Can you even say all ten commandments? Like, I, can, I can't even remember them sometimes, let alone keep them. I don't know about you. And so let me help you out here. 
Let me, let me distill the Ten Commandments down to this, because every single sin comes down to whether we are not loving God or not loving our neighbor. And so these are the, this is the, the Ten Commandments have been distilled down. The two greatest commandments are love your father with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's to love. It's to love. It's to love. These are the two greatest commandments. And so remember that quote from earlier, obedience is the test of love, but love is the content of our obedience. Love is the content of our obedience. We don't obey just useless rules. Sometimes we might think of the Bible that way. We don't, we don't, we don't obey just unnecessary red tape. The content of our obedience is love. Because God is love, his commands are all about love. It is all about loving one another. If we obey his commands, then we are loving each other, we are loving, our, loving God, and we're becoming more loving human beings. That's how we should see God's commands. They are, they are, they are a fulfillment, an overflow of who he is. As God is love, his commands are love. And so what that means is the thing we need more than anything else is a deeper, more fuller, more vibrant love. And that's a love that is willing to stock someone's fridge when they're sick. That's a love that cares for the poor and the marginalized more than just giving them a couple bucks at a red light. It's for looking at systems of ways to care for the poor and the marginalized. If, if, if we're to love the way he loved, who did Jesus love? Jesus was constantly known as, as a glutton and a drunkard because he was always out there mingling and, and, and being with the, most, the, the people on the margins, the outcasts, the oppressed, the overlooked. I mean, one of my favorite verses, and, and I, I quote a lot in here, is Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. And so are we known for that type of love to that type of person? It's easy to love the people that are just easy to love, right? It's easy to love the people that you're like, oh, I want to be with them. I want to, I want to be in their social circle. But are we, are we loving those who don't help us advance? Do we extend our love to those on the fringes of society, to the overlooked, the outcast, the ones hard to love? Do we extend grace to them? This makes me think of uh, Brian Stevenson. Some of you all know him. You've read his book, uh, Just Mercy, or seen movies, um, and the Equal Justice Initiative. And I just think it's so beautiful that he has given his life, he's devoted his life to care for those, those, those inmates on death row, to, to show love to sometimes people who may be very hard to love at times to plead mercy and to plead basic human rights for those who have committed crimes and also to argue for those who have been accused of crimes that they actually didn't do. And so just, but it, regardless, he's to still see them as human beings created in the Imago Dei to care for people in this way. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And I think the love crowd is like, yeah, get them. <laughs> That's what we need. And team obedience is like, yeah, but that bar is really high. Like... <laughs> Obey his commands completely. And it almost feels like this is just impossible. And I would say almost. And that's when we come to our, our, our third point, uh, the paraclete. Paraclete. Now, some of y'all be thinking like para what? <laughs> Parachute? Paramore? No, we were talking about the paraclete. This is just a, a beautiful beautiful Greek word that is just so good that the English vocabulary 
cannot encapsulate it. And so if you look at three different translations, you're going to find three different words for it. And so that's why if you look at some translations, you look at it and there's the, the advocate, there's the helper, there's the counselor, because it's just too good of a word for one word in the English to, to capture it. And so in verse 16, uh, it says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The, verse 17, the spirit of truth. And then it goes on to verse 18, and I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Oh, it's just so beautiful. Like, do you see the heart of our Lord and Savior here, <laughs> like the depth of the love of Christ for you. Like I am, I am asking a lot of you, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you. I will give you all the resources you need to do this. I will not leave you because if I've called you, I will equip you. If I've called you to it, I will equip you for it. I will give you the Holy Spirit and he will be your helper. Now, I, I, I don't know how that sounds to you, but when I used to think of the Holy Spirit, and it's maybe because I was a child of the 80s, I grew up and I, I, I saw the Holy Spirit like the force in Star Wars. And I was just like, okay, just be with the Spirit. <laughs> be one with the Spirit. <laughs> I didn't understand the Holy Spirit. I, I, I felt it was very imp, like this impersonal being. It was like the wind or like vibrations. Um, and so you had to kind of empty your mind of this kind of Eastern way of, of, of emptying your, your mind to be able to, to listen to the, these vibrations. And I, I think there's nothing bad with that part of just emptying your mind, but, but the Spirit isn't an impersonal being. It's the third person of the Trinity. It's personal. This Sunday is actually what we call Trinity Sunday, right? Uh, and and we, believe that we, are, we believe in a God who is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it's that third person of the Trinity that we are trying to get to know. And so it's good to empty your mind so you can talk to the Holy Spirit. But don't just empty your mind, but fill your mind. Fill it. Talk with the Holy Spirit. And one way you, you can talk and talk back to you is in verse 17. It says, the spirit of truth. Like, how can you have help along the way? Listen to the spirit of truth. Let the Holy Spirit who has spoken and, and the, the word of God has spoken to us in this way speak to you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly to actually hear from the Lord. Verse 26, but the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things, and he'll remind you of everything I've said to you. He's reminding us all that Jesus has said to us. Now, uh, advocate is one translation. I, I prefer the term counselor because it, it, this term is... It is helper, it is advocate, but counselor also has a, a legal aspect to it. It's, so it's not a, a camp counselor, uh, it's not a marriage counselor, it's a legal counselor, an advocate. Uh, so one who, who, is, who stands with you in your position and represents you before the judge and makes your case and defends you, the Holy Spirit is your legal advocate, your legal counselor to defend you before the judge but also to, to defend you from enemies on earth and to defend you even from your own hearts. Like one of my favorite passages uh, when talking about the Holy Spirit, we actually used in our, in our liturgy earlier in Romans 8.15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
That word Abba is like daddy. It's this intimate language that we have access to God to be able to call him Abba in that way. Like what that's saying is that when your heart is telling you no one loves you, when your heart is telling you that God doesn't want anything to do with you, the spirit is your advocate to say don't listen to that dribble. Don't listen to that. That's not true. Like, do not listen to that. The Spirit becomes this witness, this star witness in a legal court, uh, in a legal case, in saying, don't listen to that. I have proof. I have facts. You don't listen to that. Doubt those doubts. Is your heart filled with doubts? There is no reason to doubt. 1 John 3.20 says it this way, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And so that means that the Holy Spirit acts like a friend who won't let you say terrible things about yourself. The Holy Spirit says, you can't say that about yourself. That's not true. That's not true about you. And this friend takes the gospel and he pounds it into our hearts, the good news, and says, believe it. It is too good and it's for you. It is for you. And so the Spirit advocates to our hearts. And the Spirit also acts as the way a loving friend acts towards an addict. Any of you guys ever, you don't have to raise hands, but have, have had to, to love an addict? You know that can be very difficult. To love someone who is so addicted to their drug that it, that, it, that it is killing them. And if you've ever had to love someone in that way, sometimes your love means I'm going to step in, I will physically stop you from taking that drug Because it is a self-destructive act you're doing. That as you are detoxing from this drug and you think, I need it, you're stepping in and saying, I love you too much to let you have that. And so the Holy Spirit is this friend, it's this helper, this advocate that will not let you kill yourself. That the Holy Spirit will not stop until you become the most glorious person that God is creating you to be. The Holy Spirit cares for you too much to let you go. This is a friend who is utterly for you even when you're not for yourself. The Holy Spirit is that committed to you. The job of the Holy Spirit, in a sense, is to argue with you. <laughs> to not let you take, take your, the, the easy way out. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Like, don't give in to that temptation. I think too often we can think our hearts may tempt us and say, I can handle that sin. I can deal with it. Like, I could ask for forgiveness later. And the Holy Spirit, as our helper and as our advocate, as our counselor, says that way ends in death. Don't go down that path. Don't let it go. And whether we're tempted by sex, money, or power, selfishness, the Holy Spirit says, you are looking for love in all of the wrong places. I have something better for you. Like, and how can you hear that point? Listen to the spirit of truth. Like, it, the spirit of truth, the Bible, it can melt our hearts and it can rid us of our doubts. It can call us to something greater. And so I think the more you know the Bible, the more ammunition you give to the spirit to use against you, right? So that when you doubt, you, the Bible, the spirit can use those scriptures to, to encourage you, to, to argue with you, to, to bring you back to yourself. And so now before we finish, I want you to see something different as well. One thing we saw was that the Spirit is, is an advocate. But did you see in verse 16? Jesus says this. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. 
Did you notice that? The, the Father will give you another advocate. And so what that means is, Jesus is saying, the Spirit is an advocate like I'm an advocate. And so, the way to understand the Holy Spirit, a, a way to understand the Holy Spirit, is to understand Jesus better. To understand the, the, the second advocate, let's look back to the first advocate who is advocating to you. And so, let's go back to that courtroom scene. You know, in a courtroom, the, you mean, the devil is being known as, as the father of lies, but the devil is also known as the accuser, right? The devil accuses you and, and brings up all the reasons that you should be in shame and that all the reasons that you are guilty. That's the devil. And he's bringing it up to the judge and saying, they should not live. They are condemned. And then you have Jesus, who is your advocate, who is your counselor, who is pleading to God. And when I used to think about this, I used to think about Jesus as going before the Lord and saying, Lord, please just have mercy on them. Like, I know they promised they wouldn't do it again. Hold back your wrath. And we think that's Christianity. That Jesus is just saying, God, please don't, ha just don't wipe them out. And maybe at one point that does give you comfort because you're like, okay, the Lord has spared his wrath on me. But at some point you think after you've committed the same sin a hundredth time, wondering, is this the time that God's going to answer Jesus and say, no, I've had enough. I'm fed up. And I'm going to pour out my wrath on them. But that's, that's not the way Jesus acts. That's not the way an advocate or a counselor acts in a court case. In a court case, a, a counselor doesn't just go to the judge and say, hey, would, you, would you, you be lenient on this defendant? No, the, the, the counselor, the, the lawyer goes before the judge and makes a case on their behalf and says, they are innocent. That's the role. That's the duty of the counselor. And so Jesus, on our behalf, goes before the judge, goes before the father, and says, yes, these children are guilty. And the, the price for that, that guilt is death. It is blood. But, judge, if you look, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at the spear that stabbed me in the side. There is blood that's been spilt for this very sin, this very sinner. And so, it is actually unjust. It is actually wrong for you to prosecute them. I, I, I move for a mistrial. I move for an acquittal. This is, it is wrong for you to bring any charges against them because it has been paid for in full. Like, don't we see, like, that's, that's how strong our case is? It's not, oh, I hope he has mercy this time. It's, no, it's been done. Jesus says, it is finished. And so he's pleading. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are pleading on our behalf ever before thee that we are forgiven. We are loved. From the foundations of the world, before you were even born, Jesus says, I love you this deeply. I won't even let you mess this up. And I'm, I'm coming to you. And I'll be with you forever and ever and ever. Oh, today, do you, do you need to be reminded that you're loved?
listen to the advocate. Speak these words of life to you. Do you you need to be reminded of a call to obedience? Listen to the advocate. This friend is always with you. This is why Jesus ends this passage in this beautiful way. uh, In verse 27, says, Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He says, I'm going to give you transcendent peace. That's different from what the world knows. The world knows nothing of this type of peace. They can't fathom it. So you don't get to go out in the world in fear because the world's perfect. No, even when the world is, is out of control, you can go out with confidence and peace, for I am with you. And so when, you've, when you find it hard to keep Jesus' commands and you find it hard to actually love someone, some of you guys may be thinking about someone right now that it's hard to love, in that moment, you can say this very simple prayer, Lord, help me. That is not an empty prayer. Do you believe that the Spirit is with you? If the Spirit is with you and you say, Lord, help me to love them, the Bible is promising that they will, that, that God, the Trinity, will help you in that moment, care for them. Lord, help me to have grace is a very powerful prayer. Help me to, to, to find the good in this person and to, to, to want the best for them. And it might mean to speak some, some truths into them in a loving way. But Lord, be with me. Like the Spirit is with us. If we don't see it, we need to look at the Bible. The Bible's telling you that he's with you. And so even maybe it's like, Lord, I'm doubting that you're even there in that moment. Pray, Lord, give me hope. Help me to see that you are there. This is a powerful prayer that you can go to God in these moments. Lord, I don't even have strength to talk to you. Give me strength. And so this week, here's your simple application. It's to love and it's to pray. Simple in the phrase, but not simple in what we're asking you to do. To love radically. To love radically the way Jesus has commanded us to love. And when we know that we can't do it on our own strength, we pray, we ask the Spirit, the paraclete who is with us, to advocate to us in ways to to love in that way. And so you come to that source of power that will unleash the power and, and will blow apart the doors of doubt and fear. And so instead of sitting, we pray. Instead of just scrolling, we pray. Instead of just just tuning out to whatever the world is throwing at us, we actually come to the God and go, God, the world seems out of, con- out of control. Lord, I need you. Do we want to come to the Lord in that way? Do we want to have a conversation to have access to this advocate who is loving us in this beautiful way, who will tell you these hard truths, but also beautiful truths? I encourage you to go to the Lord this week when you wake up, when you lay down, not just at meals, all the time. <laughs> The Lord is with us at all times, and let him plead the good news to you. Let me pray.